welcome to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. Now your host, Justin Doubleday. Hello, and thanks for tuning in this week to Inside the IC. Today, I'm very excited to bring you an interview with Tim Kosiba. He's the former head of the National Security Agency's elite offensive cyber group, the Tailored Access Operations Unit. Tim is now CEO of Bracket F, a government-focused subsidiary of the cybersecurity company Redacted. Tim, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, Justin, for having me. And Tim, just to start things out, you've had a really interesting and varied career across government. Can you just kind of explain how you got to where you are today? Sure, I'm happy to do that. I started my federal career in 1989 with the Naval Investigative Service, which was the predecessor to the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, um, and then lived in London uh, for about three years uh, during that tour and did a case on the USS Kitty Hawk at the time, which was a computer forensics case. Back then, it wasn't known as computer forensics. I had the opportunity to present some material because it was a very interesting case. I had a forensics conference and I met some FBI people that wanted me to sort of move over to the FBI. They had a computer forensics program that was just getting started, noted, known as the CART program. So I, I left NCIS then after moving back to the U.S. and started working for the Bureau in 1996 and worked in the forensics program for 12 years. Obviously, we went through the tragedy of 9-11 during that period and um, subsequently started working closely with the National Security Agency in the forensics field, but also especially related to the counterterrorism efforts that were being provided. Um, NSA made me an offer to sort of come over there. So I switched over in late 2007 and worked in several different positions up into the senior levels of NSA through my retirement December 31st of this past year. Yeah, and, and at NSA, one of your uh, roles, I believe, was with their tailored access operations unit. You know, did you have, is it a through line on the types of things that you did from NCIS all the way up through NSA? Or did you have to learn new things as you're going along? Because obviously, I imagine forensics is a little bit different than offensive cyber operations, or, or is it? Well, they're certainly related, and having that background was really helpful. Because as you can imagine today, especially in computer operations, uh, attribution, who's actually working uh, as an actor against us, uh, the adversary, you want to determine what, who that attribution is and, and, and attribute it to the correct actor. So a lot of that is done through forensics and having that background, working through the NSA system and how NSA actually works came uh, as a huge benefit to me. And yeah, I would absolutely see them as as related for those out there that uh, are familiar with the computer forensics field. Certainly a great field to be in. And I was very fortunate to have the opportunity. And then moving over to NSA, obviously a massive agency that has a huge mission and, and just has several people in, in the organization that are just so talented. So you never stop learning. I can honestly say I continue to learn through the, that service as well and uh, will always, always uh, cherish that time. Got it. And speaking of attribution, just this week, the White House has warned that it has evolving threat intelligence that the Russian government is exploring potential options for cyber attacks 
on critical infrastructure in the United States. And, you know, there's not a lot of detail, as you might imagine, but reading between the lines of that warning, what do you think are some likely scenarios going forward here? Sure. Well, right now, obviously, we're entering into the fourth week or we're in our fourth week of this conflict. And um, Russia has been taking some losses on the battlefield. Uh, as we've heard in the press, it was clearly the expectation of Russia that they would be much further along in um, their conflict with the Ukraine. Uh, I've had the experience in the Bureau of, of going to Ukraine two or three times and working with the Ukrainian government. Clearly, the conflict is not where he wants it to be. So his next proportionate option is likely going to be in cyber. And we know that as a country, our defenses are not as good as they could be in several sectors. And so proportionality always enters into the discussion of an adversary and what they are likely to do next. Where Russia is likely, which is what the White House, I'm sure, is relying on, is likely to conduct cyber operations uh, as they always have been. We've attributed several activities that Russian ransomware gangs or actors have actually um, uh, perpetrated on on the U.S. and its citizens. So it is the expectation that they are likely going to continue with such attacks on our country. And this is the time to be very vigilant and to ensure that our practices and our procedures are in place and, and we understand them and they're as good as they can be. The vigilance and resilience of our infrastructure is incredibly important today. And that's what was highlighted, I believe, by the administration yesterday. Sure. But are we in sort of uncharted waters here where there is now an ongoing conflict and you discussed proportionality and in the past these attacks on you know, critical infrastructure and, and, and other companies have kind of been done with during, during relative peacetime been done by actors that have been maybe at best associated with the Russian government or many years after the fact associated with the government. And and now we're kind of staring at this problem right now in the face and, and trying to kind of predict and, and defend, I guess, ahead of time. What, what do you think, you know, goes into the calculus of, of cyber operations during a time like this, and is there any sort of precedent for, for a time like this in, in cyber warfare, if you will? Sure. So cyber operations are used to gain an advantage. Um, and it is part of a toolkit for an adversary to use cyber operations to gain the advantage, in this case, possibly uh, through information operations on their own citizens, for instance, and to clearly avoid the truth and stories that are being provided to the citizens of both Russia and possibly the Ukraine for various reasons. But as an adversary to the U.S., are we entering or crossing into new territory? We have seen the Russians do a lot of reconnaissance on our country. Uh, we know that they are a near-peer actor in this space, and we know that they have an interest in using their capabilities against us. It remains to be seen how much further they will actually go, but they're certainly capable of it. We've talked about 
previously uh, in, in, in many respects, the colonial pipeline attack and uh, other attacks that have occurred in this country that have that have had uh, a tremendous impact to our critical infrastructure. And so I would clearly think it is in the Putin's uh, mind that that he could have an impact to the citizens of this country, especially where we are with the sanctions that are being levied on Russia today, certainly in impacting their financial sector, their energy sector. So if you think about proportionality, several of those sectors could be targets uh, by the Russians that we need to ensure we're very resilient and ensure that our capabilities are up to par. We have, we have excellent capabilities in this country and we're gonna continue to partner with industries to ensure that they're the best they can be. Yeah, that was gonna be one of my next questions is what specific industries Russia might target. I think that's been a question, but it sounds like, you know, sanction for cyber attack could be a logical sort of response here. Absolutely, I think. And I know the administration has put out sectors specifically that have talked about areas that could in fact be targeted. Areas and sectors that could impact the U.S. citizens, specifically in areas of transportation or energy or finance, certainly that would have an impact to the citizens of this country. And so it's very important that those sectors, even healthcare, uh, maintain their vigilance and resilience when it comes to their cybersecurity planning and efforts. And if they're not, they should partner with someone to understand how best to proceed. Got it. And so we're talking about what could happen here in the future. But as you mentioned, we're about a month into this conflict. And certainly there are many weeks and months in the lead up to the invasion. But so far, the the hacks have been less damaging than many people had predicted, at least as far as we know. There was, of course, the Viasat attack that happened on the day Russia attacked Ukraine that impacted satellite communication networks in Eastern Europe. That's a pretty big impact. But, you know, what have you observed so far in terms of the cyber elements of this conflict that you think are important to note? Well, I do believe they're going to use new capabilities. We have seen them be a little bit more aggressive in certain areas. I think the information warfare capabilities are actually entering into an area that is somewhat uh, impactful. We've seen the Russians in the past during election security and things like that. And some of those capabilities against the U.S. could continue to be used against our information flow and how we actually share information about the conflict. Obviously, that would be in his best interest to not actually display the carnage that is actually happening. And we know the carnage is increasing and the, and the war is likely going to continue to get worse. So I could see information warfare continuing to develop and certainly capabilities in that in that area is going to increase. Also, I think we are going to see continued uh, focus on areas that impact the citizens of this country. And they have capabilities that could certainly be rather destructive. Uh, I believe that would be crossing a line. I don't see them doing something like that, but it's certainly possible. We need to absolutely guard against uh, the ability for them to be able to use those type of capabilities. 
And again, that's Tim Kosiba, a former senior official at the NSA. We're going to take a short break, but we'll pick up the conversation when we come back. I'm Justin Doubleday, and you're listening to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. We're speaking with Tim Kosiba, former NSA official, about the White House's recent warning that Russia may be preparing potential cyber attacks on U.S. critical infrastructure. And so that White House warning also included, you know, the mention of hosting classified meetings with companies about these threats and, and the, the public warning urged, you know, critical infrastructure companies to and other companies to adopt recommended security measures. It uh, actually called out the technology and, and software industry to make sure they're using secure software development practices and things like that. Do you see industry being more responsive these days to government warnings like this than perhaps they have been in the past? I do. And part of that is because of the public-private partnerships. Certainly, the CISA efforts to stand up their collaboration center, NSA has a collaboration center, DHS does a lot of collaboration. You see a lot of these cybersecurity directives or CSDs that are being shared with industry today. A lot of that is based on intelligence that the government has visibility into. And there certainly is a desire given the fact that private industry controls 85% of the critical infrastructure of this country. We absolutely need the public-private partnerships to make this country better and certainly our sectors and, and our economy to be secure, to ensure that actors like this that might proceed down those malign activities uh, and ensure they don't have the capability to impact specific sectors that we rely on as society moves. So yes, uh, it's very important on the public-private partnership piece, and that's part of the reason why I'm actively involved in that space and want to continue to be, because partnerships with the government, it's a two-way street. It will continue to evolve and get better as we learn our way through this. Clearly, there's a reason why information is kept classified for important reasons, and we, we need to be able to respect that. But at the same time, we need to be able to partner with private companies that certainly partner with industries uh, throughout our country to ensure that our capabilities are what they need to be. Yeah, you know, I wanted to ask you about cyber threat intelligence sharing. I know that that's been kind of a challenge in the past. And one of the criticisms that I think has been put out there is just the overclassification of threat intelligence by the government. Obviously, that seems to be improving through CISA's Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. How, how did that get to this point where, you know, there has been a little bit of an opening up and, and how can that continue to improve in your view? I grew up in that space based on uh, trust factors that when I left the Bureau, if you recall in the 9-11 Commission report that was written after that event, we were not able as a community to be able to connect the dots. And as odd as it sounds, I felt like I was going to be at the time more valuable to the Bureau and certainly more valuable as a public servant to be able to take that experience and grow those bridges between, at the time, the FBI and, and the National Security Agency. 
And so I felt more valuable to the Bureau by leaving than staying, more valuable to the to the country as a public servant by doing that. And so I feel the same way today. That's part of the reason why it felt like a good time to actually leave government because the public-private partnership space has evolved with these centers that you mentioned, the JCDC and the Cybersecurity Collaboration Center that NSA hosts as well. There's a ton of sharing that's actually going on and it will continue to evolve and get better. The methods and procedures that that the intelligence community uses clearly need to stay classified, but but the information that is gleaned from what our adversaries want to actually do to us or where they want to operate is incredibly important for industry to be able to develop their defensive capabilities. And, and we recognize that in our government today, a lot of those partnerships will continue to evolve. They'll be based on trust and relationships and certainly clearance levels. There's many people in industry that, that remain cleared as well. And so that's why you see um, Ann Newberger yesterday talking about the, the companies that were brought into the fold so they can target and focus their information flow uh, to get immediate impact. And so I think it will continue to evolve and get better over time uh, while they maintain what needs to be classified in the future. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, in the lead up to the, this invasion, there there was actually a lot of intelligence sharing with, with the public, I guess, in terms of what was released was kind of unprecedented, the satellite pictures of, of Russian forces on the border and the like. Do you think there's space for that within the, the cybersecurity and information security world as well that would be useful going forward to sort of open up a little bit, if you will. Yes, I do. Um, if you recall early on, and that's an excellent highlight of what recently happened with respect to sharing of information, we were concerned about false flag operations and the government talked about the false flag operations. And the best way to sort of um, uh, defeat that capability is to get ahead of it and advertise it and talk about uh, what is actually possible and, and certainly inform the public and industry today of what steps they need to take to strengthen their capabilities. Very important. And, and the government today recognizes the value of that sharing. We have to be partners in advancing this. It is, in fact, an information war. And so in order to be able to get a, a good handle on that and, and, and to get leverage in moving forward, you need to get ahead of it and you need to actually share the information and partner with industry today. And, and those, those are clearly paying off today. The relationships that industry has with government are clearly paying off and we'll continue to evolve that. As I said, it needs to get better. We, we clearly have a lot of work to do, but we, we all see the benefits of the sharing that's actually going on today. And it's exciting to be a part of it, frankly. Do you, do you think that there's been this, shift to thinking uh, of China as the the main threat that the national security community needs to concern themselves about and then put, you know, corresponding resources and, and, and focus on. Um, do you think that Russia's invasion of Ukraine reshuffles the cyber intelligence priorities at all, in your view, or was there already good focus 
there on on Russia before uh, these last couple months? We have always had good focus on our primary adversaries, China obviously being the number one adversary. We've continued to maintain that focus. As an industry in our country, we need to also continue supply chain attacks, things like that, that have to remain a continued focus in defense of the capabilities in industry today. Our government and our military are some of the best planners when it comes to scenarios like this. I've always said that the U.S. military can plan like nobody else can plan. Scenarios are worked through many, many times. I'm very satisfied with the capabilities of our our intelligence community and our military going forward. How we actually learn from that and, and how that is shared with industry today so they can get better at planning and invest in their own capabilities and understand that tabletop exercises and planning your capabilities in your in, in your companies are just as important as it is when the military does it or when the intelligence community does it. And, and that's a good way of moving forward is understanding your personal situation in your organization and how best to move forward. We can learn a lot from how the government actually does its business. Got it. You said it was a good time to be leaving the government and transitioning to the private sector. And I guess, can you expand on that a little bit? And what what are you doing now at Bracket F? Well, I appreciate that question. So it was time to actually retire after 33 phenomenal years of federal service. I'm very interested in the public-private partnerships that are expanding today. Redacted has maintained a lot of personnel that we actually have that have approximately 350 years of nation state cyber defense training and uh, maintain those trust relationships in government today. And we wanna take that experience in the Bracket F, which is a, uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of Redacted and focus in the federal space, the state and local space, educational institutions, hospitals, things like that could really benefit from that level of expertise that we have in the company. And so I'm looking forward to being a part of that. And we'll continue to our focus in Bracket F on growing that those partnerships with government moving forward, especially in the also in the commercial side of things as well, which we're doing pretty well in. And, and uh, ransomware will continue to become an impactful uh, capability, depending on the actor and who it is. But the adversaries have ransomware gangs, specifically Russia, that are going to target sectors of this country. And we need to be able to partner in an area that's affordable and efficient and allows companies to build their tailored capabilities with a partner that they feel comfortable with. And so I'm looking forward to growing that part of the business. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a good thing to follow up on. Are there specific cyber threats that you're concerned about? You mentioned ransomware going forward, TTPs that you're specifically highlighting when you go out and do these engagements with companies and perhaps agencies and and the like. Ransomware today is getting the most press, I believe, and ransomware is likely going to continue. We have seen the payments actually continue to increase year after year and the ransomware attacks that are continuing to to increase. It's a very lucrative business for a ransomware gang to be in. Those actors 
continue to focus on the low-hanging fruit, and they're continuing to advance their capabilities to go after certainly more secure companies. But with nation-state sponsorship, an actor like that will continue to focus in areas for a period of time where it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so if, in fact, you are a victim or a target of a, a ransomware actor, it's very important that you learn from what you did not do well and improve those capabilities going into the future so you do not become an, a, a victim again. And we're continuing to watch those threats through our threat intelligence program and the, certainly the sharing with government to ensure that our customers are extremely well protected. And again, that's Tim Kosiba, former NSA official and now CEO of Bracket F. We discussed Tim's career path to the NSA and escalating cyber threats amid Russia's invasion of Ukraine. You can read more about the interview and how agencies are responding to cyber threats at federalnewsnetwork.com. I'm Justin Doubleday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Inside the IC. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Inside the IC on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.